or was I? I was talking about the Memorial uh, Day. Uh, during this week, I was watching the news, and uh, I cannot help but uh, feel that feel the loneliness when I was watching the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. So our hearts also go to the victims and the families of the victims of uh, those who perished in the Uvalde, Texas. It's uh, discouraging when we don't know where the enemy is and when the strike is going to be next. Uh, it's easier if we know where they are, but the shootings in schools here in the United States of America is that uh, our perpetrated by young people, kids. And it's very difficult because I'm a parent, I know the feeling when I send my son to school, I have this kind of anxiety what will happen. You know, it can happen anywhere. Uh, all along we thought that in this country, our kids are safe, but uh, these shootings make us a little bit worried. I think if, if there's anything that we can do is that we as parents have we are not surrendering our responsibilities to take care of our children. And so I saw some parents uh, in YouTube and in television where they stand guard in the entrances of schools. And I think if we are more vigilant as parents, we can do better to protect our kids. And speaking of attacks, um, last week we talked about, still in the series of God's plan, his kingdom and its boundaries, last week we talked about the the occupation of the Israelites of the Promised Land. If you're reading the book of Joshua up to, up to chapter 13, all along we thought that they have fully occupied the land. But in chapter 13, last week, we, thought, we said that uh, it started with, with God saying, Joshua, you are old, but then there's still lands to conquer. There's still lands that are empty and needed to be occupied. Uh, this gives us a lot of pause because we're still at the half of Joshua. We still have a lot to cover. Uh, if there's anything, uh, have you ever watched a series? I know that some of you watch series. My wife likes uh, Korean uh, telenovelas. But have you ever watched series like, say, for example, Game of Thrones up to season 9 or 10, if I'm not mistaken, and you did not watch the end? How does it feel? It feels like something's missing. Have you ever watched a James Bond film where the villain at the very end is not either captured or killed? It doesn't sound complete. Or it's like, uh, have you ever dined where there's no dessert? <laughs> Some people can relate to that. It feels, it feels like something is missing. So when you read the book of Joshua up to chapter 13, you find that something's missing. It's not yet complete. The land is not fully occupied. Today I want to talk to you about Finishing the fight, because this chapter is about finishing the fight. Joshua chapter 14 is about this guy who's now a senior citizen at this point, and he would like to finish the fight. He's, he's thinking of legacy. What will the legacy be? So I'm thinking, if my life is a story, what will be the end of my story? Or if, if your life is a story, what will be the end of your story? How will it look like? How does your legacy look like for the people who will be looking at you? The, the story in chapter 14 is like a legacy. It's like looking for that one final season where he is, uh, at this point, the main character, is leaving out the legacy. It's very interesting because 
in this final chapter, in chapter 14, he understood that this was his final season. And he did something daring and bold that if you're like watching a James Bond film, it's like this one. If, if you just watch and, and read, it's like James Bond all over again because this is a daring story. Let me introduce you to a gay na guy named Caleb. In Hebrew, it's Caleb, but it's the same, Caleb. Now, this guy, Caleb, as you all know, is, was one of the spies, 12 spies, who were sent to the promised land in order to see if the promised land is really a land flowing with milk and honey. That was in the time of Moses. So let me just go through the story so that we know the context. So if Caleb is now in chapter 14, 45 years ago, Moses sent him to the promised land. 45 years ago. They were not able to complete the mission because when they came back, they changed their minds, the whole nation of Israel. And so they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years. That's very interesting. Now, this guy, Caleb, when he was sent by Moses, he went to inside the promised land, Canaan. And there he saw a very particular place in the hill country called Hebron. One of the places that he went to is Hebron or Hebron. Let me read to you Numbers chapter 13, uh, because this tells and describes what Hebron looks like. Numbers 13, 21 to 23. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Libo Hamath. And they went up into Negev and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranate and figs. Now this is very interesting because it tells us two things. Number one, that in Hebron lives the Anakites. The Anakites are the descendants of Anak. And these are very familiar because they are the giants in the Bible. So when Caleb went to Hebron, he saw giants. This is one of the reasons why Israel rebelled against God because they don't want to fight against the giants. Very interesting. So we're, we're thinking of really tall people like maybe 10 feet above giants. I mean, compared to me, I, I'm a midget to them. These are giants we're talking about. The second thing that this tells us is when they went there, they really saw that the land was was fertile, flowing with milk and honey. And how fertile? They cut a cluster of grapes, and the grapes look like this. Let me show you this. That's a cluster of grapes. Now, I'm imagining it's being carried by, by men. <laughs> I don't know how they carried it, all the way from Hebron, going back to their camp outside the Promised Land. This is how fertile it was. So when they got back to Moses and reported, they said, look, it's true. The land is flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants in the land. And the people were discouraged. Now, 10 of the spies said, it's not worth it. We're not going to fight. If we fight, we're going to lose. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, if we have been redeemed by God from Egypt to here, we can also defeat the Canaanites if we go there. It doesn't matter if they're giants, but we can defeat them because God is with us. 
But the ten, ten other spies convinced the whole nation and they rebelled against God. So the whole nation was cursed by God and they were asked to stay in the wilderness for 40 years until all that first generation died in the wilderness. If you think about it, this is like, so the idea is that they were in the outside the, the promised land. It's just they have to cross the Jordan River and they're there. So this tells me like a picture of Adam and, Adam and Eve when they were exiled from the Garden of Eden. They were just outside of the Garden of Eden. The people of Israel was about to go back to another Garden of Eden, but they were not allowed because they rebelled against God, just like Adam and Eve. And this tells me that this is very important here. Caleb and Joshua stood their ground, and for the next 45 years, only Caleb and Joshua were allowed to enter the promised land. At this point, think about this. Joshua and Caleb are the only two senior citizens inside the promised land because everyone died except for them. And yet Caleb still believed that he needs to finish the mission. The story is not complete. He wants to finish it. After 45 years, Caleb approached Joshua at this point they're about to finish the campaign. And he wanted to request because he cannot keep Hebron out of his mind. It's like Georgia in my mind. He keeps thinking about it. I want to go there. So he approached Joshua, and this is what he said in chapter 14, 10 to 12. He said this, Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. And just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. Amazing. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there. With great fortified cities, it may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Now at this point, Caleb is 85 years old and still have the fire in him. He wants to finish the task. I was thinking when I was studying this, that I also want to be like this. When I turn 85, I still want to do what I love doing, like preaching and, and pastoring maybe. Uh, what are you going to do when you're 85 years old? I mean, this guy still has the strength. He still wants to continue. There's something special with this guy. Very exceptional character. Repeated in verses 8, 9, and 14, the same phrase. This is how Caleb is described. Verse 8, it says, But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord by God. That last phrase, yet I wholly followed the Lord God, is repeated in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 14. Very interesting. So if there's anything that you will remember about Caleb, is that he wholly followed the Lord. Wholly followed the Lord. His character is an absolute contrast to the nation of Israel. While the whole nation of Israel rebelled against God, half-heartedly followed God, Caleb wholeheartedly wholly follow the Lord. He took it very seriously. There's a prayer for every Jew. It's called Shema. 
the Muslims also have this in their boarding prayer when they you hear when you go to Muslim country. Allah uh, There's a there's a song prayer. The, the Jews also have their own version. Shema, Deuteronomy chapter six verses four and five. This is what they say. They also sing it. It says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God." I would have want to say sing it in ABC tune, but I cannot. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Very interestingly, in verse 5, it says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In Mark, he added all your strength, but it's the same thing. With all your heart. See, the heart in Hebrew is lev. Lev. And that's why it makes you think that the name kalev means whole heart. And that's why this guy followed God with his whole heart. Whole heart doesn't mean affection. It doesn't mean emotion. Heart means the will, resolute will to do whatever it takes to follow the Lord. That's what heart means. It's, it's your resolution to follow, your commitment to follow. Even though he's 85 years old, just like Joshua advanced in years, he still carries the fire of obedience. He is what I call a man on a mission like Tom Cruise. Mission impossible, man on a mission. This is like an athlete on his last stretch of maybe 50 meters to the finish line. Let me read to you verse 13. It says, Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day. Because he wholly, again, wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel, now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiryat Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Up until today, the place in Israel is still called Hebron. And sometimes in the street signs, it's still called Kiryat Arba. Now, what is Hebron? Hebron is the stronghold of the enemy. It's in the hill country. It's impenetrable. It's fortified. And it's guarded by giants. It's like the, the last place to hold out, this is the, the strongest fortification in Canaan because it was guarded by giants. It says that the sons of Anak or Arba is there. Now, compared to Jericho, it was easy. They just went around for seven days, and on seventh day, they shouted, the walls came down. Easy. A little bit difficult is the next city, Ai, because they were defeated. But then they went to the southern country, they went to the northern country. It was easy. Joshua stopped the moon and the sun. All compared to this one, it's, it's easy. This one is difficult because there are giants in the land. This is the same reason why they paused for 38 years in the wilderness because, again, they feared the giants in the land. If you read your Bible in the history, there was a time in the time of David where he fought a giant by the name of Goliath. He's not from this country, he's a Philistine, but he's also a giant. So think of giants. Think of Shaquille O'Neal. Anyone seen Shaquille O'Neal in person? Think of Shaquille O'Neal. Big guy, not wearing jersey shirts and basketball, wearing shields and swords. Shaquille O'Neal. And think about five of them. Think of Hebron James. Lebron James. Hebron James, maybe five of them, guarding the city of Hebron. I mean, this is really scary if you're there. And so the people of uh, Israel were paralyzed. 
they were not able to decide to go on. Now, question is, why was Caleb not afraid? And what's so special about Hebron? What's in this place? How is it significant? Now, this place is significant because of what it represents. Let me show you something. Hundreds of years ago, before they entered the promised land, their forefather, the patriarch Abraham, bought a piece of land in Hebron. Interesting. God already promised him Canaan, but then there are Hittites in the land, Canaanites. So he said, no, it's not in my time. God promised his descendants to possess the promised land. So what he did when his wife died, Sarah, he bought a piece of land from the Hittites to make it official that the land is his. And the place that he bought is in Hebron, specifically a cave in Machpelah. There's a cave that he bought where he buried his wife. Interestingly, according to the Bible, if you read through the history, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and their wives were also buried in the same cave in Machpelah and Hebron. Interesting. That is the reason why this place is significant. And Caleb knew how significant this is. That's why he wanted to get his hands on this one in Machpelah, in Hebron. Up until now, Hebron is significant to the Israelites. Hebron also is significant to the Muslims because they believe that Ishmael is the son of Abraham. Again, the Muslims came from Abraham. The Christians also believe that Hebron is also significant because Abraham is the forefather of our faith. Just like Abraham believed in God, so we believe in God. So the Christians, the Muslims, and the Jews believe that Hebron, Machpelah, is significant for our faith. Machpelah, in fact, is the second holiest place for the Jews. And currently, uh, 2021, the population of this small city is about 250,000 Arabs and only 800 Jews. 250,000 versus 800 Jews living in Hebron. But this place, according to the, the study, is the second most number of conflicts between Jews and Arabs. The first, of course, is Jerusalem because every day there's conflict in there. The second most is Hebron. Hebron is south of Jerusalem. Watch this clip so that we can have a better context of what we're talking about. If you've heard about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, you've probably heard that Jerusalem is the center of the conflict, but there's another city known for being even more intense for Jews and Arabs. This is Hebron. home to 250,000 Palestinians and 800 Jews. A city divided into two areas. Over there, H1, and right here, H2, that were mutually agreed on by Palestinians and Israelis as part of the Hebron Protocols in 1997. H1 is under full Palestinian civil and military control. H2, 20% of Hebron, is under Israeli military control and only 3% inhabited by Jews. Hebron is also home to the Cave of the Patriarchs, where the forefathers of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are believed to be buried. And it's also the second holiest site in the Jewish faith. Today it's divided into a synagogue on one side and a mosque on the other. Following numerous incidents of violence between Arabs and Jews, 
with both sides committing awful acts of terror. Sadly, there are many divisions in Hebron due to violence. Jews and non-Muslims aren't permitted to visit the Cave of the Patriarchs on certain days of the week, and Muslims are forbidden on some of the days which Jews are permitted. Jews are also forbidden from entering H1 due to dozens of terror attacks against Jews by Palestinians from Hebron. And Arabs have been restricted from El Shuhada Street following in a shocking attack in which a Jewish terrorist shot 29 Muslim worshippers and injured 125 in the cave of the patriarchs. These streets opened up temporarily to Palestinians following the Hebron protocol until the violence on the Palestinian side in the second intifada triggered a shutdown again. So why are the restrictions in Hebron so intense unlike anywhere else in Israel or the West Bank? Because Hebron is known for having the worst extremists on both sides. Extremist minority, but very dominant. Meaning that preventing violence is a top priority for the leaders of both sides. And here is why. Tens of thousands of Palestinians from Hebron work in Israel every day. Of the 87,000 Palestinians who work in Israel, thousands are from Hebron. Hebron also accounts for 40% of Palestinian JDB and one-third of all Palestinians' exports. Meaning if there's a rise in terrorism and a reduction in permits and in exports due to a war, Hebron suffers directly. This occurred in 2015 with a wave of nine terror attacks in 13 days committed by Palestinians from Hebron. And Hebron is even known for being a stronghold for the terrorist organization Hamas. The reality is innocent people on both sides are harmed when terrorism occurs. The final status of Hebron will have to be decided by the leaders of both sides. But by reducing violence and enhancing economic opportunities, Israelis and Palestinians may be able to find a way forward in this hotly contested historical city. So now as you know, it's, it's a very complex issue with occupation and rights, but many people will still die because they have not yet resolved the issue. But what I see here in chapter 14 of Joshua is the triumph of Caleb to subdue the enemy because for one reason, he fully devoted himself to God, wholly followed God with all of his heart. In contrast, I see the failure of Israel beginning from the time of Joshua up to the time of Jesus where they constantly failed to do what they're called to do, to obey God. And so if you look carefully, chapter 14 is about Joshua the faithful Israelite, and the rest of the country who is not faithful to God. When you go back to the time of Jesus Christ, sorry, not go back, but when you go forward to the time of Jesus Christ, you find the city under siege. The whole nation of Israel was under, under siege. And Hebron at that time of Jesus was ruled by Herod Antipas. When Herod Antipas died, Pilate took over. That's the reason why it was Pilate who presided over the the trial of Jesus Christ. But during that time, it was not Hebron who's the stronghold of the enemy anymore. It's Jerusalem. Because in Jerusalem, being the capital, Pilate is there, Herod is there, Caiaphas and Annas was there. All the powers are there in, the, in Jerusalem. And everything is pointing towards Jerusalem. So the week before the Passover, think about this. The week before the Passover, Jesus enters Jerusalem 
And Jerusalem is also a hill country. So if there's any comparison between Hebron and Jerusalem is that both of them is on top of a hill, hill country. Caleb went up to occupy the hill country of Hebron. Jesus in his last week rode a mule to enter Jerusalem claiming to be his own city. In fact, when he was entering Jerusalem, the people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally means save us. Save us, son of David. Very interesting, you see a familiar story in Caleb in the time of Jesus Christ. And the same fashion, I would like to show this to you because this is very interesting. You might miss this. Joshua chapter 14 verse 12 speaks the same of Matthew chapter 21 verse 12. Let me show this to you. First, this is what Joshua, sorry, this is what Caleb said. Joshua 14, 12. He said, and I shall drive them out as the Lord said. The word that he used is drive out. He wants to drive out the enemy, the giants in the land. This is what Matthew said about Jesus. Matthew 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who sold and bought in the temple. Do you see the reference? It's the same thing. Both in the hill country and both of them, with the same passion and full devotion to God, will drive out the enemy, both Caleb and Jesus. The way I see it is that the Sanhedrin works like a mafia. Annas is the conciliary, he's the advisor to Caiaphas. Caiaphas, the high priest, is the mob boss. And those who are collecting money inside the temple are the bagmen. I mean, this works like a clock. They knew where the money, how to funnel the money. And the people are suffering because there's corruption inside the temple. Now here's the thing. Last week, we talked about the Levites. The Levites are supposed to serve God fully in the temple. They're not supposed to make money. They're supposed to serve God. But here, the people doing money exchange are making profit out of what they're doing. Are they Levites? We did not know. If they're Levites, it's not their job to make money. And here's the point. They are corrupting the temple. They have desecrated the temple. But that means is that even before Jesus came, the temple is desecrated because of this money exchange inside the temple. The land of Israel, therefore, is also desecrated even before Jesus came. Now, what's interesting here is that there's another group inside the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the court where the high priest presides. The Pharisees is a different kind of breed. The Pharisees are those people whom I call the Cosa Nostra, the family. They're the ones who decide the strictest rules. And when they, when they saw Jesus casting out demons, they criticized him. They're saying, you are using the power of the demons. This is what they said in Matthew 12. Jesus said, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What Jesus is saying is that my power is not coming from the demons. My power is coming from God because I'm casting out the demons. The demons are the unclean spirits in the land. Just like the Romans, the unclean Canaanites or Gentiles in the land. The holy land, the promised land, the Eden, the new Eden is occupied by the Romans. Just like the land of promise is occupied by the evil spirits. The most famous story is the casting out of the demon-possessed person in Gerasene. 
So Jesus traveled by boat in the Galilee. He went to the town by the name of Gerasene. Gerasene is a territory of Herod. Again, uh, in Herod's time, to make sure that there's peace, there's no revolt, there is this legion it's called Legion X or Legion 10 pretenses that is stationed both in Jerusalem and in Decapolis. Gerasene town is a part of Decapolis town. It's, it's like a, a capital in the north. The 10th Legion is stationed there. Very interestingly, a legion is about 6,000 foot soldiers and about 200 horsemen. When Jesus went off the boat, he was met by this man Man is demon-possessed. And Jesus asked him, What's your name? And then the man said, My name is Legion. My name is Legion. What does he mean by that? He's saying that this is not just a Roman occupation. This is more than just a Roman occupation. See, the land is occupied by evil spirits. And Jesus was not afraid of it. In fact, the man begged him, and the spirits told him, please do not cast us out, out of the country, just like an illegal immigrant. Please transfer us to the pigs. There are pigs in there. Now, culturally, we know that the pigs are unclean. Jews don't touch the pigs, don't eat pigs. That's why I believe that Pinoy's cannot become, become Jew because it's impossible for you to give up lechon. Right? So the spirit said, please do not cast us out of the country transfers to the pigs and Jesus did so all the spirits if there's 6,000 of them went to the pigs about 2,000 pigs the pigs run to the hill at the edge and jump off the sea and they all drowned I cannot help but when I read this I can help but think of the Egyptian army running after the Israelites when they escaped Egypt God divided the Red Sea they entered the Red Sea, and when they're on the other end, the Egyptian army was trying to catch up on them, and the sea closed, and everyone drowned. This is like the pigs, the unclean pigs drowning in the sea. I mean, if you look at this, what Jesus is doing is what Caleb did to occupy the land, to drive out the enemies. Jesus is not driving out the Romans at this point. He was driving out the evil spirits. Because they are the powers influencing the people to worship other gods. Mark chapter 5 says that the guy lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but they wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. If I think about this, I think about the giants. No one could could really defeat the giants in Hebron. Only Caleb did. Very interestingly, as I reflect on this, I cannot help but think that if we are going to think about our last fight, our last season, and, and Caleb did this, we have to give everything that we have if we're going to finish the fight. See, Jesus did this. This was his last season for 30 years, he did not do anything. He just visited the temple, but he did not minister. For the last three years of his life, his last season, he poured everything in the ministry, just like Caleb. And there's denial, there's, there's a similarity in what they did. I'm thinking about 
if this is the story of their lives and this is the story of my life too, and if that was their final season, they have fully devoted themselves to God. And probably the challenge to myself is to also fully devote myself to God. Because you see, our lives reflect this also kind of victory that Caleb and Jesus did. If I think about it, our calling is not really to win. Our calling is to obey regardless of the outcome. Our calling as followers is to obey. It, not just to believe. To obey because obedience is the highest expression of love for God. So if we go back to the Shema, full devotion to God means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your will, your resolution, your commitment to God. And this is what Caleb did and Jesus did to love the Lord your God. In fact, it was Jesus who taught us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. When he was about to to be executed, he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. But Jesus said, if you love me, prove it to me, obey me, do what I want you to do, feed my sheep. I mean, the highest form of loving God is to doing what He wants us to do, expressing this love for Him. Our obedience is an everyday, everyday thing. It's not based on our mood. It shouldn't be based on our feelings. It must be based on our resolute commitment to obey God. So I, I keep going back to what Caleb did. After 85 years, he said, I'm not yet done. I'm still strong. This is my final season. I want to finish strong. I mean, if I think about what Jesus did, the last three years of his life, the same thing, he finished strong. So I'm thinking, if this is my life, I'm going to finish strong. But if I'm going to finish strong, I have to make it, I have to concentrate, I have to focus on how I'm going to do this. There's this Danish philosopher by the name of Søren Kierkegaard. He said this, and I quote, the purity of the heart is to will one thing, unquote. That means to really have one resolution, one commitment. That's the purity of the heart for him. Caleb was, was chosen to become one of the spies and he understood his calling. His calling is to conquer the land. And it didn't matter if he waited 45 years. He must finish it because that was his commitment. So my challenge today is to do the same. Maybe this is maybe this is our final season. If we think about it, maybe you've been here for a while, maybe you've been a member of the church for a while. Maybe you've done your service. Maybe you're saying, "Pastor, I'm old. I have served. I have done my part, and I'm going to let the new ones come and serve." That's fine with me. That's okay. But think about this. But what if, what if Caleb said the reason why God has kept me this long is because I'm not yet done? What if the same thing is true about us? That it's, it's not your time. God is not finished with you yet. What if you still have something more to offer to God? What if this is your final season? Again, do you realize that that Caleb at this point is a senior citizen and he said I'm still as strong today as I was on the day when Moses sent me how about that so slow down for a minute and ask what if all these years 
God has allowed us to blossom, to accumulate all the needed experiences, to mature to a point that serving God is not a burden anymore but a joy. What if? What if God is not finished with you yet? See, the reason why we are still here, I'm still here, you're still here, is that maybe because this is your season to bloom. Maybe this is our season to bloom. There's a song that goes like this. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. And I'm not backing down from any giant because I know how this story ends. My prayer is that as we reflect on this, we'll finish our story. You're the one who knows how to finish your story. This is the story of your life. This is our legacy. And people, maybe 50 years from now, will look back and say, these are the people of Point of Grace. And we follow their footsteps because they left a very good legacy for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the reminder that we are in this fight. And we are in this fight until you take us home. Father, allow us to be inspired once more. Quicken our hearts. Quicken our minds so that we can see opportunities of service. It doesn't have to be every Sunday. It can be every day when we meet other people where we can open our mouths and we can share about the goodness of your love for us. Father, allow us to be in your service. In Jesus' name.